A large-scale saga of corruption, justice, and overwhelming relevance that's at once gripping and eye-opening, even if you're the sort of news junkie who thinks they already know the story. That's from Owen Gladberman of Variety. One of the films we're reviewing is The Report, starring Adam Driver. We're also be reviewing Dark Waters, two films about investigative journalism, and that's why the Mount Rushmore this week is journalism movies. And yes, I'm a journalism major. Went to school for radio and television arts at Ryerson University. Thank you so much for checking us out here on Cinephile. As always, back with my man, Joe. We have some great news here at Cadence 13, which is our company, regarding our NFL podcast, which is doing very well, the GM Shuffle. So I need your support now for Cinephile. So help us out here. Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, and uh, get the word going here. Because honestly, GM Shuffle, we're doing great. We can use a little more little more pub here when it comes to our beloved labor of love. We'll also, of course, be talking about the Oscar nominations. We'll do that momentarily and what all of it means, my reaction to it. And honestly... Tough to find a better guest than Scott Feinberg. He knows everything when it comes to the awards season. His podcast is called Awards Chatter, and you can check him out at The Hollywood Reporter, where he's an excellent writer. And Scott's tremendous. He's going to be with us, I think, almost 30 minutes talking about the Oscars. His thoughts on Joker, uh, why Joker did so well, whether Parasite can win Best Picture. Lots of really, really interesting stuff from Scott. And he interviewed my favorite actor, Al Pacino, recently in his podcast. He tells me some Pacino stuff as well. Uh, here we go. This is from Dr. G, The Shrink. If you have an interest in intelligent, straightforward reviews of movies while at the same time receiving some education which promotes your transition to becoming a more complete cinephile, this is your spot. Adnan had insightful observations. Interviews of prominent people often outstanding reflect his character and intelligence. I've tried other popular movie review podcasts. They pale in comparison. Oh, this is a rave review. Thank you, Dr. G, who is The Shrink. Uh, another one here from T-Dog. Love the podcast. I consider myself a recently converted cinephile. You showcase a deeper way to look at films that connect. My one su- suggestion is around the great Total Recall segment. What if you also considered other great movies that weren't nominated for Oscars in the given year? If we're rewriting the Oscars, I'd love to hear if you think a key movie or two got gypped on nominations. That is up to Joe. Joe is uh, That is Joe's segment. He puts it together, so... That seems like more work for Joe. Joe, do you want to do that more? Then you have to go. You have to comb through and find other notable emissions. That sounds like a lot of work. But it's up to you. I mean, I think we could definitely do it for certain years. I, if you look at this year's Oscars, you know, there's a few omissions that weren't nominated that probably should have been. So I kind of I like the idea. We can you know look at look at it going forward. We'll look at it. The dash Justin seventy nine saying once upon a time in Hollywood is too long and the Irishman isn't too long is a terrible take. Even though I am disagreeing with your takes a little more than I once did, I still enjoy the pod. I appreciate the review. All right, honestly, you don't have to agree with me. That's fine as long as you listen. Uh, SN Live eight 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 big fan of the podcast since its inception. Super excited that the bada binge is over and love the new Total Recall segment. I'm definitely enjoying the increased number of reviews recently. I, I'm cranking out the reviews. I promise you. Two this week. We'll do two next week. You want to look ahead? I'll look ahead with you right now. SAG nominations. We'll review next week because the SAGs Screen Actors Guild are coming up this Sunday, and I'll review a couple of films. Terrence Malick's uh, film The Hidden Life, and or A Hidden Life, and also Waves. And then uh, two weeks from now, I'll be doing documentaries because I've got a bunch of those now that we know what got nominated. American Factory, uh, which is supposed to be excellent. And uh, I believe Democracy at Work. And then three weeks from now here on Cinephile, I got my foreign films. Uh, Listen, Parasite's going to win. We all know that. But I'm also going to watch Les Miserables, which got nominated, and Honeyland, which is a movie from Macedonia. So if you like the increased number of reviews, don't worry. I got you covered coming up here in the Oscar season. Uh, so really appreciate all these reviews and comments. All right, let's get to the Oscars, folks. Every time I get mad, although this time I was, I was bracing for it, because if you don't get a SAG nomination or a Golden Globe nomination, then you're not going to get nominated for an Oscar. So I already knew De Niro was going to get snubbed for Best Actor. But seriously, folks, listen to me. Listen to me. How can a film be nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Two Supporting Actors, Best Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Production Design, Best Score, all this stuff, and yet 
the lead actor, the guy who actually is the Irishman, actually doesn't get nominated for Best Actor. It makes no sense to me. So basically, you're saying the entire film is great, but the lead actor, the guy who's carrying the film, eh, could have been better. Uh, Irish Mowley, sorry, not nominated for Best Original Score. I love Robbie Robertson's score. I wish it did. That's another issue I have with it. Anyways, Bob didn't get nominated. It would have been his first Best Actor nomination since Cape Fear, which was 1991. So I'm incensed about that. As I say to Scott Feinberg later on the podcast, you can't just get mad. You got to say, okay, what would you take out? Banderas gets nominated for Pain and Glory, which I was really happy about. Al Motivar film, uh, if you're a fan of the podcast, you heard me review it, and I liked it. It's his first ever nomination, I believe. I mean, he's a terrific actor. Come on, it's Desperado. Uh, Leo, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, great. Driver, Marriage Story, I'd vote for him to win. Jonathan Price, The Two Popes, thrilled to see this. Link? James Link? That's right. He's Link from Glengarry Glen Ross. 72 years old, first ever nomination for Best Actor. I love it. So I would have put Bob ahead of Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, who I don't think should win or even much less get nominated, and I think he's going to win. So figure that stuff out. Let's go through best picture. Ford versus Ferrari, formulaic, but it's fun. Irishman, I hope it wins. Jojo Rabbit, great to see this. Joker, disagree. Little Women, a little bit surprised. I, I didn't think he'd get a best picture nomination. Marriage Story, terrific. 1917, one of the best pictures of the year. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, liked it better the second time. And Parasite, elated. I mean, I was thrilled to see a best picture. The director, we got Marty, should win. Don't think he's going to win. Todd Phelps, Joker, biggest issue I have. There's no way he should have been nominated. I'd have Noah Baumbach for Marriage Story or Greta Gerwig for Little Women. Mendez is up for 1917. He might win. Amazing. QT, sure. And Bong Joon-ho, Parasite, love it. Bong Joon-ho might win. Let's watch out for the DGA, Director's Guild Awards. If Bong Joon-ho wins the DGA or Mendez does, that's the big indicator for the Oscar, as much as I'm pulling for Marty, of course. All right, so Best Actress, Cynthia Revo, Harriet, excellent. And a rare nomination, by the way, for a person of color. If you want to get angry, but Oscar's so white, yet again, very homogenous when it came to the issue of color. But Cynthia Revo does get in for Harriet. Great to see that. She's excellent. Scarlett Johansson, Marriage Story, I'd vote for her to win. Saoirse Ronan, Little Women, happy to see this as well, because she got uh, ignored by the SAGs, got nominated for a Globe. Charlize Theron Bombshell, sure. I thought the movie was, was good, obviously, and she's very good. Renee Zellweger, Judy, is absolutely going to win. Talk about lock of the year. Put as much money as you have. Morgan's life savings. Renee is going to win for Judy. Average movie, great performance. We did Best Actor, as I mentioned. Best Supporting Actor. I mean, this is as low as it gets. So they followed the, the Globes here. I thought the SAGs, where Jamie Foxx got nominated ahead of Anthony Hopkins, Fox for Just Mercy, that might happen. Instead, it is the SAGs, and this is about as low as it gets. Tom Hanks, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Anthony Hopkins, The Two Popes. Al Pacino, first Oscar nomination since Scent of a Woman, which was 1992. Way to go, Al. Ignored for Donnie Brasco and The Insider. Joe Pesci for The Irishman. Tremendous. Michael Lombardi, all in. And Brad Pitt is going to win for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I wouldn't say bet the house on this one, but very, very strong chance. I mean, Brad, I believe, is in his 50s now. He's never won. He's a great actor. Handsome. All the rest of it. Brad's going to win. So that's your supporting role. No issues there. Uh, best actress in a supporting role. I've seen tw of the 20 nominees in the four acting categories. I saw 19 of them, 95%. The one I didn't see is Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, which I heard is a very average movie, despite the fact Ben Lines is a fan. Uh, I'll have to watch that now. Kathy Bates got nominated. Laura Dern's going to win for Marriage Story. Again, bet the house. Scarlett Johansson, thrilled to see this. Rare to get a double nomination. She's up for lead. She's up for supporting for Jojo Rabbit. Florence Pugh, Little Women, this was my biggest shock. She gets in ahead of Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. J-Lo's hot, looks great, I got it, but the movie's pretty average. And more people, as Scott Feinberg will tell us later, saw Little Women. Hence Pugh, 24-year-old in. I loved her, of course, for Midsummer, which is a movie that was completely ignored. And Margot Robbie for Bombshell. How good is that actress, man? God, Marty found her a Wolf of Wall Street. She gets nominated for lead actress, I, Tanya. Now supporting actress, not even 30. 
What a life Margot Robbie has. So she's in there. Uh, those are the acting nominations. I'll fly through a few more of these. Uh, original screenplay. You know, QT is doing pretty well winning these for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'd love to see Noah Baumbach win for Marriage Story. And I'd love to see Bong Joon-ho win. Him and Han Jin-won uh, for Parasite. Great nominations there. Knives Out. Rosella hates it. Ryan Johnson. And 1917. Mendez's first ever time co-writing a screenplay. He's nominated for Christy Wilson Cairns for 1917. Adapted. God, please. Can it be Steve Zellian for The Irishman? Uh, he won a course for Schindler's List way back when. He also wrote and directed Searching for Bobby Fischer. Taika Waititi is up for Jojo Rabbit. Ridiculous domination. Todd Phillips, Scott Silver for Joker. Greta Gerwig is in for Little Women, so that's to see. And Anthony McCartan, one of the real surprises of the year, is how good The Two Popes is. I'm so happy the screenplay was recognized, along with Price and Hopkins. Anthony McCartan is the guy there. Other than that, animated feature film, Frozen 2, big omission there, but How to Teen Your Dragon is in. I will do some animated movies coming up in Cinefall because I've got screeners for not only I Lost My Body, but also Klaus, or is it Klaus? Uh, it's currently on Netflix, but I'm going to watch my screener shortly for that one. Uh, the shorts I haven't seen. The documentaries, as I mentioned, I'll be reviewing American Factory and the Edge of Democracy and Honeyland. That's the one from Macedonia. Those movies coming up. Other than that, you fly through them. Uh, original score is going to be uh, Hilder from Joker, although it should be Thomas Newman for 1917. Costume design, love seeing Sandy Powell get nominated for The Irishman. Makeup and hairstyling, got to like bombshell there. Film editing is always a key category. Very rarely do you win Best Picture with an editing nomination. So these are your editing nominees. Ford versus Ferrari, not going to win Best Picture. Joker, okay, 11 nominations, which is insane for a derivative, mediocre, disappointing film. Parasite, that's a tremendous sign. This could actually win Best Picture, which is amazing. South Korean film winning Best Picture, well, it's up for editing. Jojo Rabbit, polarizing, but also was number eight on my top 10 of the year. And then The Irishman, which I still believe is the favorite. We'll have a better idea after this Sunday. Screen Actors Guild, if The Irishman wins the SAG Best Ensemble, big indicator. If Parasite wins, put a few bucks on Parasite winning Best Picture. If you win Best SAG Ensemble, I mean, that's the actors. The actors are the biggest voting body here. That's a real indication of what could happen. So we go through some snubs people were talking about. I mentioned J-Lo. Aquafina for The Farewell might have been nice. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, which I didn't care for. don't think she should have been nominated, but some people did mention that. I mentioned Greta Gerwig snubbed. Taron Edgerton is a surprise for Rocket Man because, again, if you get a SAG nomination and a Golden Globe nomination and a BAFTA nomination, you got to think you're getting in. So Taron Edgerton... Um, getting bounced out by Antonio Banderas was a surprise to me, and he really did sing all of Elton John's songs. Rami Malek wins, despite the fact he didn't sing. He lip-synced his Freddie Mercury and Bohemian Rhapsody. Go figure that one. Bale ignored for Four vs. Ferrari. I was fine with that. The movie was okay. I don't think he should have been nominated. Adam Sandler, not nine for Uncut Gems. A C-plus cinema score. That means people, when they watched the movie, did not like it. Got a lot of buzz in the industry. Safety Brothers are very talented. Uh, but the movie did not break through. Tough work there for Sandman. I would have liked to see George McKay nominated for 1917. He's the lead actor, but again, way too many other people. Eddie Murphy's Ignore for Dolomite is my name. I love Eddie. Uh, other snubs here, Beyonce for Spirit. Well, I'm, I think life will go on for Beyonce somehow, some way. She'll, she'll find some reason to live. Frozen 2, I already mentioned, also is a notable snub. So that is our Oscar nominations recap. Joe, questions, comments, concerns? I would have liked to see Aquafina get nominated for Best Actress. Um, especially as you pointed out, the Oscars kind of being homogenous, it would have nice to been nice to see her there. But I'm looking at Christian Bill, Eddie Murphy, and De Niro. I feel like De Niro of the three that were snub is the strongest to get in for lead actor. But who would he replace? And I take it you would say Joaquin Phoenix for for that, correct? Yes, I would have said Joaquin Phoenix should have been out. Bob in. 
but the one that was the most surprising was Antonio Banderas. The only indication he might get nominated, he won Best Actor from the L.A. Film Critics, but again, did not get nominated um, from the SAG. So that was where I thought Taron Edgerton would get in there. So you're right. Eddie Murphy was great. I mean, Dolman is my name. Was uh, You had it in your top 10. His only other Oscar nomination ever was for Dreamgirls and Supporting. So the Oscars usually love actors playing real-life people, especially other actors. So that was Eddie's best chance playing Rudy Ray Moore, but doesn't happen this time around. Any other ideas? I really want to see the movie Missing Link now as far as the animated films go. It's been getting yes. a lot of buzz. You know you know me, I love animated movies. And it's also stop motion too, which I appreciate. Definitely going to put that on my list going forward. Good work out of you, Joe, mentioning that, because that was a stunner when it won at the Globes. People are like, wow. And they clearly were not prepared to win. Everybody thought it was going to be Toy Story 4 or even How to Train Your Dragon. So I, I still think going into the Oscars, it's Toy Story 4 or How to Train Your Dragon. Toy Story 4 did win the Critics' Choice Awards, uh, which I was unable to attend uh, this past Sunday. But you're right. Missing Link has a chance. And uh, I've obviously seen How to Train Your Dragon in Toy Story 4. So I will knock out I Lost My Body in Klaus and then give you my official opinion. But you're right to mention Missing Link. Uh, that is uh, a way that it's got a real chance right now. And of course, Gold Derby, by the way, go to goldderby.com. They've got all their uh, odds now updated as well. So that's always fun to see. Uh, speaking of, Chris Beecham, who was a guest in the pod, if you'll recall, about a month ago, he said he was hoping for Avengers Endgame to get nominated for Best Picture. That did not happen. Avengers Endgame, I believe, got one nomination. Joe, do you know what it is off the top of your head? It was visual effects. Uh, visual, visual effects, effects yep. Avengers Endgame. That's right. Yep. Up against, hopefully the Irishman wins. Lion King, brutal. That got nominated for Best Visual Effects. Star Wars did it get nominated. Star Wars for a couple. Best Original Square. That always happens, for God's sakes. John Williams, hasn't he won enough? <laughs> best Visual Effects. Best Sound Editing. Like, give some other score. Listen, you know what should have been nine for score, Joe, is our boy Daniel Pemberton from Motherless Brooklyn. That's a great score, which was ignored in favor of another Star Wars nomination. Like, come on. Yeah, I was I was just thinking that. And I, I, I just think it goes back to the popularity vote and more people seeing Star Wars and John Williams being a name versus Motherless Brooklyn being a smaller independent movie. Yeah, no doubt about it. Maybe Randy Newman will win for Marriage Story. He does get nominated there. All right, that's the Oscar nods uh, and our feedback to it. Like I said, Scott Feimer coming up momentarily is tremendous. He'll break it down for you really well. Any issues or concerns, you can tweet me. Cinephile Pod or add me an S for a couple movies to review. Beginning with The Report. The story of Daniel Jones, lead investigator for the U.S. Senate's sweeping study into the CIA's detention and interrogation program, which was found to be brutal, immoral, and ineffective. With the truth at stake, Jones battled tirelessly to make public what many in power sought to keep hidden. Terrific film here from Scott Z. Burns. Adam Driver plays Daniel Jones, who is the investigator who is digging deep into what exactly the CIA did, what the government did. And it is a deeply disturbing film. It shows, as Gladwin mentioned in his review, what you think you know, right? You've heard about waterboarding and what Abu Ghraib is and punishment of prisoners. When you watch this film, it is very in your face and it is gripping because not only do you have Driver combing through evidence and stories, and so it has a, a, that feeling of you know truly an investigative journalism movie, but also you've got all those scenes of the torture being done, and it is shocking. I mean, you, you may think what happens to these people, but I mean, they're blasting Metallica. They're throwing water in their faces. They're drowning them. They're torturing them. I mean, it is, it is horrific, and it goes well beyond what is sanctioned by the UN and what uh, humanist tactics are for interrogating and investigating and browbeating potential terrorists or any sort of uh, persons of danger. So uh, those scenes in particular, Burns is making his directorial debut here. He wrote and directed it. But those scenes in particular are very visceral. Annette Benning is very good. Also, Senator Diane Feinstein, she's the one who is... Uh, 
ordering all of this, and she's the one who has to keep rapping back and forth there with Driver as to what exactly is happening, what the latest evidence is, how they can go about through Congress and persecuting these people, whether or not that's even possible. She does not get nominated for Best Supporting Actress, by the way. There's a chance she would. I believe she was up either for a SAG or a Golden Globe. But regardless, uh, Benning is really good in the movie. And Driver, the year of Adam Driver, man. God, I'm hoping he wins for Marriage Story. But he's also very good in this movie. I mean, you talk about a guy who's having, as Dan Stanzik would say, something of a moment right now. Um, he's, he's in Star Wars, for God's sakes, playing Kylo Ren. And then he's here playing an investigative reporter. And he's playing a divorced father who's dealing with all of that. So it's another strong performance from Driver. His, his character really radiates intelligence and inquisitiveness as he's fighting for the truth, but never does it on a melodramatic level. You've also got a, other good members of the cast, John Hamm, who's playing a guy who's involved with uh, Barack Obama's team. Maura Tierney, I always loved her. She's from News Radio. She plays Bernadette. She's somebody who's actually sanctioning a lot of these torture methods. But it is definitely an eye-opening way in looking at what the U.S. government has done in the past and uh, what should be or shouldn't be done. And maybe you'll watch the film and say, hey, I'm good with this, okay? I don't care if they're terrorists or not terrorists. If they're suspected of doing it, you torture them however you want to. But I think most people will watch this and just be horrified by it. Michael O'Sullivan of the Washington Post writes, the report takes a more conventional approach to storytelling, framing the narrative as flashbacks to unidentified black sites where we watch CIA contractors waterboard detainees. And Peter Travers of Rolling Stone says, Burns believes that the granular details of cere cerebral inquiry into issues of morality are more than enough to hold our rapt attention. He's right. I'm giving three Maple Leafs to the report. A very provocative and very good film, Joe. To your point, Adam Driver, the thing I love about all the movies he came out with this year is just they're so different in the range of it. He's doing an investigative journalism movie, and then he's a villain in a Star Wars movie. Then he's just playing a guy going through a divorce in Marriage Story. And next year, he's going to be in The Last Duel, a period piece. And he'll also be in Annette, where he'll be playing a stand-up comedian. So, I'm, yeah, I'm excited to see what he's doing going forward. Of those movies, which one do you like the best? I, I would say Marriage Story, I think, is the best of the movies. But the report surprised me, because I hadn't heard a lot about it. And uh, obviously, it was ignored during award season, but I think it's, it's pretty good. Aside from betting, who had gotten a little bit of buzz. But yeah, I would go with Marriage Story, I think, is the best. If you haven't seen Marriage Story, I think that's the one to watch because he's just uh, he's electric in that film. One more review before we get to Scott Feinberg. That would be Dark Waters. A tenacious attorney uncovers a dark secret that connects a growing number of unexplained deaths to one of the world's largest corporations. While trying to expose the truth, he soon finds himself risking his future, his family, and his own life. High expectations. All right, Mark Ruffalo even sent me a note, for God's sakes, because you remember the BFCA, Broadcast Film Critics Association. I love Ruffalo. I think he's a good dude. I loved him, and you can count on me. Uh, I was so happy when he got nominated for an Oscar, supporting actor, a few years back uh, for Foxcatcher. But this is a real disappointment. I mean, this was a, a, a just a boring movie. Let's be honest here, okay? Whereas the report is about a guy digging into papers and research, and yet they make it in a very uh, compelling manner. This is a slog. I mean, this is a movie which is important with a capital I, and it's telling you so, and yet there's nothing gripping about it. I mean, it's, it's just so tedious trying to watch this film, despite a very good cast. Not only Ruffalo, who plays the character as straight, which means he's kind of bland. There's really not a lot to the guy. Anne Hathaway, who importantly is saddled with the unfortunate role of being the complaining wife who has to give one unfortunate speech in a hospital. I just, I mean, she's going to be calling her agent going, seriously, how did I get this role? Tim Robbins, good to see him in a role again. He's playing Mark Ruffalo's boss. Again, good actor, but he's spoiled. Bill Pullman, Victor Garber, Bill Camp. Bill Camp is always great. He's in The Night Of. He's also on the new HBO show, The Outsider, which I'll be reviewing in a few weeks. 
But Dark Water is a real miss, man. I mean, I, it kept making me think about it. That's what we're going to do, the Mount Rushmore of movies, which are about topics like this, uncovering corporate malfeasance, but to do so in a manner that allows you to raise your arms with righteous indignity. This movie just, just puts you to sleep. And it's a real miss from Todd Haynes, who's the director. Todd Haynes, this guy is known for you know, these beautiful, lush uh, period pieces and homages. Far From Heaven is a wonderful film with Julianne Moore and Dennis Haysbert and Dennis Quaid. Uh, he did Carol which is about a lesbian romance starring Kate Blanchett. Like, Todd Haynes does some beautiful indie movies. And this time, I mean, this is just a paycheck movie. He's like, all right, all right, I just want to show you I can make some money and do something quick and dirty, a little more straightforward. But it has nothing of a signature appeal. It just felt like um, somebody else could do it, which is the worst kind of criticism you can give a, to a filmmaker as a really unique style. This was run-of-the-mill and unfortunately pretty dry. Um, Dark Waters from Joe Morgenstern is Mr. Ruffalo's film both in its gestation and execution his passion has been well served I respectfully will disagree with Jay Morgenstern I, I love Mark Ruffalo and I agree it was a passion project I think Bleedy co-produced it but it's a boring movie and what he's fighting for is important I mean this is DuPont and chemical dumping and his character ended up winning a case of like $671 million which is you know some small solace to these people who are poisoned by contaminated water by a company that knew this Big business, the bad guy once again. But in terms of issue-oriented movies, this was not something that was riveting. Joe, I'm going to tell you to skip Dark Waters. I'm giving it one and a half Maple Leafs. Yeah, I will definitely skip it then. It, it kind of seems like the kind of movie that is, hey, you're going to take down this company, and everyone's telling the guy not to do it, and he goes, watch me. And then <laughs> and then that's it, you know? I was about to say, there, there may be even a scene he actually does that. You're right. He's telling Tim Robbins what he's going to do because he's one of these guys... He's one of these corporate attorneys who normally defends guys like this, and then, as you mentioned, he ends up uh, pulling like an Edward Snowden here just to try to get the bad guys. But yeah, I would avoid it. Here's someone you should never avoid. Scott Feinberg, right now. A real pleasure to bring in our friend Scott Feinberg, who we've had on Cinephile in the past. I was at the Critics' Choice Awards a year ago, and I saw you in the distance on the red carpet, and I couldn't get to you. And then I was actually at the Uncut <laughs> Gems premiere, because my buddy Ben Lyons hooked me up, and you ran the panel with Adam Sandler and Dina Menzel, did a great job. So one of these days, we're going to meet, but Thank thanks so much for I joining so, us, man. Yeah. Uh, Scott, you can follow on Twitter, at Scott Feinberg. He, literally, there's nobody better than him when it comes to covering the entertainment industry. And ever since I started listening to the Awards Chatter podcast, my knowledge and appreciation for cinema has grown by leaps and grounds. So everybody out there, subscribe now. The Hollywood Reporter Awards Chatter Thank podcast. You. Thank you. Oh, dude. Well, listen, we're going to talk about the Pacino interview, which you were kind enough to, to invite me to, and I couldn't make it. But uh, listen, Al is unbelievable. But let's get to the Oscar nominations first and foremost. You, Ben Lyons, Jason Horowitz, there's a few people on my timeline. You guys are the most passionate supporters of Honey Boy, which I saw in all of your recommendations. And it's terrific. I mean, it reminded me of this boy's life. I mean, it was very raw, and I would have loved to have seen him recognized, not only for, for lead actor or supporting actor, excuse me, but even a screenplay nomination would have been nice. Uh, how outraged were you, Scott, when you saw the nominations? Although I think you had, a, had it coming because you were already tweeting after you got ignored for the SAGs that you kind of felt like the Oscar nomination was not going to be coming. <laughs> well, yeah, I had already kind of become reconciled to the idea that uh, this, this wasn't going to pan out. And, you know, it's I, I, at the same time, I, I, you know, yes, I was extremely disappointed and, and confused why this, about why this movie was not gaining more traction. But uh, at the same time, I have to say, I feel like uh, it has certainly put 
Alma Harrell, the, the director on the map. And, uh, you know, people are certainly talking about and, and aware of who she is now. Um, I, I, I'm one of these people who I'm not as quick as some to attribute, uh, you know, certain misses of nominations to biases. I don't think the same people who, you know, necessarily gave uh, Moonlight Best Picture a few years ago suddenly became more more or less uh, bigoted. Um, I, I know there have been efforts to increase the diversity of the organization, and I, I think that's that's great. I think that just sometimes uh, it, it comes down less to people's feelings about um, you know, gender or race than the fact that a movie like Honey Boy just didn't get the same level of promotion for whatever reason. Sometimes it's budget. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, just a, a, a company that has too many movies, you know, certain movies get campaigned more than others, more aggressively. I, I'm very, you know, I was bummed that it didn't get in there, but I think that there are, uh, sort of, explanations for a lot of the ones that people are are outraged about not getting in there and i agree with your point that sometimes you know at least they'll get recognized enough within industry circles that maybe the next film will get more attention and i think of last black man in san francisco in that respect a movie which i loved which yeah. also did not get recognized but i think enough people scott know joe talbot and jimmy fails and say okay whatever movie these next guys make they're definitely gonna get attention for that kind of like pt anderson with hard eight and then all of a sudden boogie nights exploded right Exactly. And, you know, the, I loved Last Black Man in San Francisco. That was right there with Honey Boy on my personal top 10 list. But the reality is that I am paid to see a lot of these movies at film festivals. And so I see a ton of these movies. The, the Academy members, everyone is sort of assumes that this is their, that they have time to watch 75 movies. The reality is many of them are still, and increasingly, uh, increasing number of them are still very active in their careers. And while it would be nice if they could see as many movies as as I do, many of you know the, we're lucky if they see probably twelve to fifteen before they vote of the of the main contenders. And so what what ends up happening is that, and this is why millions of dollars are spent on campaigning. It's not because studios want to blow their money. It's because it's such a, a fight to try to get your movie to be one of the twelve to fifteen that they see, and. You know, the, the movies that we've been talking about, Honey Boy, Last Black Man in San Francisco, they had certain disadvantages in that, you know, Last Black Man in San Francisco, nobody had heard of anybody associated with that movie prior to that movie. And, you know, uh, it's it's not going to probably therefore be one of the 12 to 15 that that people rush to see. I'm not I'm not condoning that members don't see more movies before they vote than they do. But. I live in reality, and I think it. I, I don't think it was because, uh, and, and you know, some people would argue, well, it wasn't prioritized because uh, the filmmakers are people of color. I, I don't believe that. Uh, I, I think that there are certainly some people who are, who are narrow, you know, close-minded, inexcusably. But I, I really, I cover these people all the time. I and I get that there can also be unconscious bias and, and things like that. I'm just skeptical that that was the reason as opposed to just awareness of, of, you know, certain movies get promoted more. Last Black Man in San Francisco was one of about eight movies that A24 was trying to promote along with Midsummer and a whole bunch of others. And in the end, the only thing that any of A24's movies got was one single nomination for the cinematography of The Lighthouse. 
So again, sometimes the situation here may have been that they they felt obligated to sort of treat all of their eight movies more or less the same, and that can actually screw all of them in a sense because nobody's really being highlighted. A lot of great points you make, specifically the fact that these people are watching them at home as well. Like I think of a movie like 1917, and you and I are lucky enough to see it on a big screen perhaps, but for all these people, they're not watching it the way you should be, which is in the biggest screen possible. So that will impact your nomination, your voting as well. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that's what kind of has made this argument about Netflix sort of funny, where people are, uh, some people, and I think fewer than ever this year, but uh, there's there's been these some people raising concerns that, well, we, we can't consider Netflix movies because they're not primarily seen on the big screen. Well, neither are most of the movies that you're in terms of the ones that you're considering for voting, as you say, uh, uh, because of because of the uh, fact that many Academy members. May, yeah, let's say it's because they're busy or whatever. They can only they have families. They can only get out so much, whatever the reasons. Yeah, a large number of these movies are being watched on small screens, just like a lot of Netflix movies are. And in fact, the Academy this year uh, introduced a service that allows members to to stream all Best Picture hopefuls, essentially, uh, as long as the the company distributor pays a token amount to put it on their on the Academy streaming service. You know, the Academy is now streaming Best Picture contenders to their members. So I think it's just the reality of the world we live in. Things are going to change and evolve. And yeah, it's certainly it's sad that the theatrical experience isn't what it used to be, but the reality is it isn't what it used to be. It's not fun to go to a theater and have everybody around you lighting up their phones every two seconds and people being obnoxious and popcorn costing $20 and all of this stuff that, you know, things have changed. And why wouldn't you, for, for whatever it is, 10 bucks a month to use one of these streaming services, if, if they're, and, and, you know, a lot of the mid-range movies, mid-range budget movies that used to, come out during Oscar season not that long ago they don't exist anymore except on streaming services which is sad but that's just that's the reason why so many of the top uh you know most talented people in the business are now going to work with them because they're just not the kinds of movies that they want to make are not being made anymore by others yeah, as you and I both know, those indie movies that we would have loved, those kitchen sink dramas, you know, like Ordinary People yeah. or Manchester by the Sea, like now you're right, those to go to the words of streaming services because they're not going to get the big theatrical release. Right. And, you know, the fact that Martin Scorsese is now in business with Netflix and, uh, you know, you can go with, with people who are partnering with Hulu. Clooney was working with Hulu. Uh, Amazon, you know, same thing. It's just these people have seen the writing on the wall and they can either choose to participate in the world as it is or gripe about the fact that the world isn't the way they want it to be. And I think this is just, you know, time marches on. All right. So speaking of time marching on, time stops for nothing. And when you look at The <laughs> Irishman, this is an incredible motion picture. And it, as I said, when I saw the New York Film Festival, Scott, I said, so elegiac. That was the only word that came to mind, right? Mournful and sad about the passing mm. of time and these great legends, you know, saddling up for one last frontier. And then when I look at the nominations, again, I had resigned myself that De Niro was not going to get nominated after seeing the SAGs and the Golden Globes omissions. But, and the question always becomes this, because as a kid, I used to always get mad and somebody said, well, how do you know if he's better than the other person? Art is subjective and all the rest of it. So mm -hmm. even when I get outraged that De Niro is not nominated, I look at the nominees and say, okay, who should he have replaced? So when I look exactly. at the nominees, I say, listen, I was, I was thrilled that Banderas got in, by the way, because I saw Pain and Glory and I love Almodovar's work and Banderas has never been nominated. So I'm happy to see 
a movie like that recognized. Leo's terrific in Once Upon a Time. Driver, I believe, should win for Marriage Story, though I don't believe he will. Jonathan Price is a revelation in The Two Popes. 72-year-old, never nominated. The quibble I have is Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and he's a great actor. We all know that. The master and Walk the Line. But this is not a great performance. I thought he was mannered and it was over the top. And I didn't think it had any sort of subtlety or nuance. And by the time he had another slow motion montage of him dancing and I got to listen to rock and roll part two, I said, you got to be kidding me. I mean, that movie, I thought Joker was so derivative. Scott, what I said was when, when I saw Todd Phillips nominated, I said, oh, great. So they're nominating him for copying Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy. Like, this is absurdity. Like... 11 nominations. Can you at least shed some light to me what people in the industry are saying? Why is a film like Joker taken with so many? Because I've got to be honest with you. I found it thoroughly mediocre and disappointing. You know, I, I didn't I didn't I don't think I I hated it as much as you. I, I had some reservations more about what it might inspire crazy people in the world to do as other movies have done, including Taxi Driver with, uh, of course, what happened with with uh yeah, John Hinckley, uh, the Reagan assassin. Yeah, John yeah. Hinckley. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I, I, I think that what I, my experience speaking with Academy members has, has been that even those who, who don't like the movie or what it stands for or whatever, they, they feel that Joaquin did a, a very good job, and I do think he's probably gonna, gonna win. He's been winning everything so far. I think the movie, it's, it's a, it's an interesting case study in that, look, God, thank God there hasn't been. A, a huge mess shooting on the level of some that we've seen since that movie began rolling out. I mean, there have been obviously many sort of smaller scale ones and those are terrible too, but nothing large scale. If there is God forbid one. And unfortunately just based on the rate at which these have happened in our society, there there's, there's unfortunately likely to be more until things are, are changed with our laws. I think that, that movie is sort of like a living, breathing thing in that, uh, and, uh, you know, there's that great soliloquy in Sideways about why and how it's changing and whatever over time. I mean, if there's another mm-hmm. big shooting, yes, this movie, which was the most nominated of the year, I think people may run in the other direction because it will force people to think again about what message are we looking to send with our Oscar vote. And the reality is, yeah, you know, Samuel Goldwyn or whoever said, if you want to send a message, you know, use, um, uh, what's the, the telegram service or whatever. But, but, uh, but the reality is that for as long as there have been Oscars, people have chosen winners that generally they're trying to say something about the world or, or the industry or whatever. And, and I think that it's unlikely the Joker under the best of circumstances is actually going to win best picture. But I think that it's it's the kind of thing, same with Jojo Rabbit, where it's like people have to really think about, and I think they are really thinking about, what is the message it sends if we get behind this movie, even with, you know, 11 nominations. a big statement that Hollywood championed Joker as much as it did. And I think what, what you know, I, I was a tad surprised that it did as well as 11 nominations. I knew it was going to do well, especially after BAFTA. The Brits liked it even more than we did. They, I was very surprised that that they, it was their nomination leader as well. But um, I think it's just uh, p- people have people have sort of uh, gotten behind it to an extent that I'm, I, I am finding a little bit hard to understand. But I, I, the, the Joaquin part of it, I think, is it's more like, you know, a lot of times you wait for a 
moment in this industry, or the people, the voters do, wait for a moment to uh, celebrate an actor who you respect. Often it's not even solely for that role. It's sort of like, here's the opportunity. We may not have another one. Let's, let's acknowledge Joaquin. But I do think a lot of people feel it is a, an Oscar worthy performance. And I think that Adam Driver's still a relatively new uh, quantity here in, in the business. And I thought he was great as well. I personally would probably vote for Jonathan Price just because I, I thought two popes was the best movie of the year. And I was disappointed. It wasn't nominated for best picture, but it's uh, it's very interesting, absolutely, that Joker did as well as it did. Two Popes is terrific, man. I, I went into that thinking, I don't understand why this is getting such buzz, and maybe it's going to be a little dry. It's funny, it's smart, it's intelligent, it's really well-directed, of course, from the Morales, who did City of God. Yeah. McCartan's script is terrific. I'm glad he got that. I, I'm with you. I thought The Two Popes is a really pleasant surprise. I was really hoping it would break, break through for Best Picture. Um the yeah. biggest surprise in many ways was J-Lo being ignored for Hustlers. Now, I thought it was a fairly average movie, Scott. I, I thought she's great. I mean, she's very magnetic and charismatic. But I, I didn't think it was a particularly notable movie. But I didn't see Florence Pugh getting nominated. I, I, maybe in that Benning for the report or something else. But Pugh, when you don't get a Golden Globe or a SAG nomination, I generally mm-hmm. think you're out, uh, just like your guy Shire or my guy De Niro. So how did Florence Pugh get in ahead of J-Lo? Well, I'm not even sure that Florence Pugh's the one that knocked her out. It could have been Kathy Bates for for Richard Jewell. Uh, but Richard Jewell, I, right? I thought, yeah. And, and you know, the thing was, and I'm going to do a little humble brag here for a second. I at the last minute pulled J Lo from my final predictions for a nomination because of the fact that I, I sort of, I think it really came back to what I had learned last year when I like pretty much everyone picked Glenn Close to win over Olivia Coleman, and then that didn't happen. Just as a few years earlier, a lot of us had Lady Gaga and Diane Warren's song, uh, Till It Happens to You, winning over the Bond song. And what I was reminded is, again, Academy members are only seeing a certain number of movies. Is a doc, you know, and they presumably are only going to vote for something in something they've seen. So if a movie is a, is a across the board contender, like, let's say, The Favorite was, versus a movie where it's the one thing that somebody's talking about, like the like the documentary was with, where the Gaga song was in, I, I think that people, if they're only seeing a handful, they're going to prioritize the one that people are talking about across the board. And so as that pertains to J-Lo, as you've said, you know, it's not a movie that people widely embraced as a movie overall. It was pretty much highlighting her. Some people liked the, the screenplay, which I, I, I was a fan of also, but... The, the reality was this was not going to be a movie that was going to be prioritized by Academy members. I don't know that acting branch members of the Academy, the ones who choose the actors, uh, acting nominations, necessarily hold J-Lo in the highest regard because, you know, she's done a few excellent performances, but she's also done a lot of paycheck movies and crap and, and not really focused on acting until recently. And so it's not that they didn't, I don't think they, they, that none of them voted for her, but I think that they prioritize probably a, an actor's actor like Kathy Bates, who was very good in a movie that was also not widely embraced, but you know, that was one where I think that, you know, they just maybe respect her more as an actor. But I also, I also don't think Hustlers played well internationally. It did do well at the box office internationally, but I don't know that, um, you know, that, that, I mean, she, J-Lo, I believe, was not nominated by BAFTA, which was another warning sign that 
you know, this is not necessarily a movie that translates everywhere as as just what we think of as an awards movie. Now, there are people that say we need to reconsider what we think of as awards kinds of movies. That's that's, I guess, a legitimate point. But I don't know how you really force people to to do that. And, and so just with with the current dynamics being what they are, I, I thought there was a chance she'd miss. Um, Scott Feinberg, not a fan of Beta Manhattan. He believes that that is a paycheck movie from JLo. We'll <laughs> knock that one down. <laughs> um, to, to the real feel-good story, Scott, and that is Parasite. Listen, you and I see it. We all know it's incredible. It's bonkers. It did great at Cannes, wins the Palme d'Or. I said, okay, it's a lock for foreign film. After that, we'll see. Well, I was thrilled. As you and I both know, it's a big indicator. Yeah. You get a legit shot at Best Picture if you're nominated for editing. And the editing nominees... Yeah. Our four versus Ferrari, not going to win. Irishman, good chance. Jojo Rabbit, maybe. Joker, as you said earlier, probably not best picture. And Parasite. So I'm like, listen, if Parasite's in for editing and then for production design and screenplay and director and picture, I said, okay, you're missing on the acting stuff. That's fine. But Slumdog Millionaire won without acting nominations. And God, it would be incredible. If Parasite wins best picture, I would be, listen, I love the Irishman, but Parasite's a hell of a movie. Oh, it would be a, it would be a, a, a great moment for, movies for the Oscars, which, you know, they have, that, that's the kind of thing where, you know, not only has the Academy been working to increase the number of women and people of color, but also of people based outside of the United States in their membership. And so I think the, the, just the openness to, to subtitled movies last year, Roma was tied for the most nominations, uh, you know, in all of the history of the Academy, I think there's been about a dozen uh, I think this may have been the 11th movie that was nominated for Best Picture that was primarily not in English, and none has ever won. So to have, as you say, nominations sort of across the board, uh, when you know we we should remind people the nominations for editing, for instance, are chosen only by the film editors. The nominations for uh, directing are chosen only by the director. So the fact that a movie gets a lot of nominations in different areas suggest that there's obviously, you know, sort of widespread enthusiasm for the movie overall. And I I think that with the preferential ballot that they now use to pick the best picture winner, it sort of rewards a movie that everyone at least likes or doesn't dislike. And I think that, you know, we hear very polarizing reactions about Joker and Jojo Rabbit and even to some extent the Irishman and and others. I, I don't really know anyone who who hates Parasite and roots against it. It's such a kind of uh, unusual movie and a feel-good story behind the movie. So I, I think it's actually possible. God, it would be amazing. I'm with you. This is what happened with the Green Book, right? Everyone said, how could that win Best Picture? You said, well, listen, nobody hated it. Some people didn't love it. Right. But if you rank it third or fourth in your ballot, you rank up the totals cumulatively, it ends up winning. And, you know, there were people who hated it, but yeah. No, that's true. Yeah, well, I was going to say, after one best picture, then everybody really started killing then it. Then everybody, you know, the woke generation. <laughs> totally nobody liked it, oh, yeah. right? Then yeah. everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Awards Chatter is the podcast. Make sure you check it out. Scott gets unbelievable guests, like about as A-list as it gets. And uh, I want to talk about Pacino. Because, listen, I adore him like we all do. I still have the VHS tape when he was on with Larry King. I remember when he did Rosie O'Donnell a few years ago. No studio audience because he's so, uh, you know, shy. He's going to be on Kimmel this Thursday. And then you did your first ever live uh, podcast for Awards Chatter with Al. 
And listen, the stories are amazing. and Everyone has to listen to it. It's a solid hour 40. I mean, he gave you a lot of his time. The stories are familiar, perhaps, to some about Coppola and, you know, fighting from The Godfather, his friendship with Frank Serpico, where Attica derived from, you know, the fact Lumet was going to direct Scarface. But the fact that your, your level of uh, knowledge and research was so good. I mean, you mentioned the eighth grade teacher, which surprised him. And here's a few <laughs> things. One, thank you so much for clarifying, because he always mentioned Charlie Lott. Every single interview, he always mentions Charlie Lott and his mentor. And that is not the Charles Lawton who was in Mutiny of the Bounty. So I already <laughs> laughed. Thank you for clarifying that for everybody. And also, uh, the fact that I always wanted to know, like, what does he do now? And I was, I, this is one of the best parts of the interview is you, he was talking about hunters and the fact of streaming services. And he said he loves Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I said, I, I just picture great. Al Pacino in his, <laughs> right? Imagine Al in his, in his Manhattan apartment sitting there watching uh, right. Tony Shalhoub with Laughing Rachel Brosnahan. I was so happy well, to hear that. I'll tell you what. Yeah, tell me all about I, Al, just that experience. What was he like? Well, first, I just have to tell you, last week I was moderating a Q&A with the cast of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I was sharing with them that Al had said this and Rachel Brosnahan was like, this is, uh, you know, I, I, this is the, one of the weirdest things that in, you know, she was so flattered and touched. Like I can't, it just too, can't wrap her head around the fact that Al Pacino is a fan. It wasn't even just of the show. He was saying, I just love that girl from Maisel who talking about Brosnahan. So that was, it was fun and it kind of a human humanizing thing to just, you know, you, we think of him as such a um, kind of, guy up on a on a mountain a god of this uh of this business but he's a he's a, actually came across as incredibly humble he was asking if there were actors in the audience and then sort of greeted them as brothers and sisters and just couldn't have been a nicer guy and and, a, and an ideal guest for a live podcast because some people shut down in front of an audience he actually i think was more generous with his time and and memories because he could sense the enthusiasm uh, and and admiration of the audience. So I was I was really thrilled to uh, have him do it. I was sorry you couldn't join us. Would love to have you come to the next one, which we're in the process of scheduling now. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I it was definitely one of the most special ones out of three hundred some odd that we've we've done at this point. Yeah, and it's 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 amazing. You know, one of the other great parts you had too, and I, I was just so happy to see him nominated. He hasn't been nominated since Incentive Woman, which is nineteen ninety two. And right. I was so happy you mentioned Donnie Brasco and you cited that review which said that um, you know, Al when he knows it's the end, that's some of the best silent acting he's ever done in his career. I agree. I, I thought he should have been nominated for Donnie Brasco, which I love so much. I yeah. love the insider too, nineteen ninety nine. He did not get nominated for that film as well. Um, but that was a great line you said to him. Every every time I mentioned that Pacino's my favorite actor, you know, everyone always is the same thing. Always an over actor. And you had that great line about the fact that you quoted what he said, which is that some actors are like a tenor. Tell us what that line was specifically. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I said like, uh, I found just in my research where somebody had said, you know, sometimes you go really big, Al, what's that about? And he's like, you know, I, I see myself as a tenor. You got to see how big you can go. And, you know, sometimes that you can overdo it. But um, at the same time, uh, you know, sometimes you hit that note and, and it would be a shame not to try. And so, yeah, he acknowledges that and he joked about it a couple of times that sometimes uh, he may overact. But, um, you know, reaching for it also allows him to, to go places with his performances that others just, you know, very few others have ever gotten. On a personal note, host to host, broadcaster to broadcaster, favorite guest you ever had, and, and was David Crosby the most difficult? I remember seeing your tweet, and I said, oh, my God, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> yeah, I look, I've, I've been very lucky in that 
we've had very few bad experiences with guests because generally if they're coming on, it's because they know it's in their interest to, to be there and we're happy. We've asked them or they've, their reps have reached out to us to do it. And, uh, the biggest people in the world have been just lovely. So, uh, you know, I, I would actually say, and it's not because she might be the biggest celebrity in the world, but because she was, she was so incredibly humble and generous with her, you know, talking about things that I've never heard her say before, but my favorite I tend to say is Oprah, because I thought, you know, you feel like you know everything about this person. She had a show for decades where she basically talked about her own life, and yet I learned a lot of new things, even after voluminous research to prep for it. Um, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been more grateful to her for being as uh, open and generous as she was. So that's the one that I generally point people towards to say, like, you know, if you want to get a sense of what what we can do on this podcast, this is this is an example. I thought Clooney was a pretty great one too. I was so happy you mentioned good. When he's you asked him, hey, what's what's the movie? You know, film school years from now. George Clooney one on one. What's the one you want to study? I was so happy. He said, "Good night and good luck." I love that movie. Yes, and I think you know for him, it's it's a movie where uh, you know it's sort of a tribute to his own dad who was in news. It's a uh, he's a student of history, and I think that you know he directed it. He was, I believe, a writer of it. He played a, as he does in all the movies that he directs, he played a small part in it, but, you know, basically stood aside so that he could, um, you know, shine a light on a, on a lesser known actor, uh, in that case, David Strathairn. And I just, I, I couldn't have been more impressed with Clooney either. Scott Feinberg's the best. He's got to run. I know he has an interview. I think another one to do right now, right? I believe in minutes. So I, I could do this obviously for hours. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott Feinberg. He's also on Instagram uh, and Awards Chatter is a podcast. And of course, The Hollywood Reporter is the publication, which I subscribe to. All of you should read it. Scott does all his awards pundits. There's no one better on the awards. I don't know how you do it, man. Awesome stuff. Thank I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, you. Adam. I appreciate it. I enjoy your coverage very much also. So thanks a lot. Mount Rushmore. And now it's time for the Mount Rushmore journalism movies. Uh, I just saw my brother. He was telling me he, he liked our Mount Rushmore war movies, but was saying that was a pretty tough list. Uh, I think the Deer Hunter is the one that people are upset about and Saving Private Ryan, which we uh, left off the list, but that's why it's called the Mount Rushmore. You can only include four Mount Rushmore journalism movies in honor of the report in dark waters. Here are the best journalism films, at least in my view. The Insider. Love this film. Jeffrey Wigand, Russell Crowe. After having watched the Mike Wallace's here documentary, they talk about that whole issue. The Insider and Jeffrey Wigand is reminding me of what a wonderful film The Insider is. Um, so well directed by Michael Mann, who just he just gets right into the subject matter. You know what I mean? It's gritty. It's tough. You're saying nicotine is a delivery. Cigarettes are a delivery device for nicotine. You put it in your mouth, suck it in. You're going to get your fix. You're going to get your fix. Russell Crowe. I mean, Pacino's phenomenal. Lowell Bergman playing the journalist. I would have loved to see an Al get nominated. That was 1999. The Insider is a movie that I really, really think was one of the best films of 1999, which, as we've talked about before, one of the best movie years ever. Uh, hopefully, you've all read that book. So The Insider is a no-brainer. Spotlight won Best Picture. Again, this is a movie about, about journalism. It shouldn't be this exciting, and it shouldn't be this uh, galvanizing. But that's what I felt watching Spotlight. Again, Ruffalo, tremendous. Michael Keaton's the best. 
Tom McCarthy is the guy who wrote the script, directed it. McCarthy's a really talented guy. Um, you know, he's obviously an actor. He's also in The Wire, but he's also the director has done uh, some notable works in the past. So Spotlight won Best Picture. I was very happy to see that when it won. Network, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore. Absolute lock. Peter Finch. We'll be talking about, by the way, the films of 1976 in a second for Total Recall. But Sidney Lumet, one of the greatest scripts ever by Patty Shievsky. Whole cast is amazing. So there's your three so far. This is very painful to keep out Reds because I love that Warren Beatty movie. Uh, and he won Best Director for it. I mean, technically, we've been communism back in 1981. And it's brilliant. Brilliant. But I'm going to go with Good Night and Good Luck. As I just mentioned, it's Scott Feinberg. It's my favorite George Clooney movie. And it's the movie that's most important to George Clooney. 90 minutes, black and white, jazz soundtrack. Good luck making any money. And yet George makes it happen. It gets nominated for Best Picture. I believe he was up for Best Director. He definitely wasn't nominated as Fred Friendly for Supporting Actor, but I believe he was up for Picture and Director. I think he got seven nominations. Love that movie. David Strathair, one of the great character actors of our time. Magical as Edward R. Murrow. I mean, it, there's one scene I remember watching the commentary track. Clooney goes, look at him. Look at his face. He goes, looks like a bulldog the way he looks at the camera. <laughs> good night and good luck. Edward R. Murrow fighting a crusader for justice, Joe, the way every broadcaster like me dreams of. Those are my favorites as far as the Mount Rushmore of journalism movies. You can now make the case for Anchorman or Frost Nixon <laughs> or all the president's men. Have at it. All right. Well, I agree with you with Network. That That's just an iconic movie. Um, I'm going to throw on His Girl Friday from 1940. I haven't seen it. A little screwball dialogue. Old okay. screwball, like yeah. It. Oh, yeah. Fast pace. I wa- saw it in college. I really liked it. All the President's Men, for me, has to go on that list. Just Pacula. That crane shot where they're in the Library of Congress just going up and up. I don't even know how you would storyboard something like that. And then I will go with Spotlight as well. Definitely love that movie. I don't think enough people saw it, um, even though it did really well during award season, but definitely Spotlight too. All right, good list, man. All the President's Band, Jason Robards won uh, an Oscar for his performance, which we're going to get to. Now, what the hell? Let's do it right now. Total Recall, next. All right, now it's time for Total Recall. We mentioned Jason Robards, we mentioned Network, so let's do it, man. This is Academy Awards 1977, films from 76. We're testing all of your film knowledge out there, although I'm really proud of my guy, Joe, for dropping His Girl Friday. And by the way, in terms of giving props, my brother watched Always Be My Maybe on your recommendation because you mentioned the Keanu Reeves cameo, and he said you were right. Keanu Reeves cameo off the charts, all-timer. You were vindicated, Joe. So good. You, you have to watch it. Next time you have a few hours to kill, please do it. All right, once we get through Oscar season, February 10th, I promise you, I'm going to watch Blowout for you. I owe you that one. My, my cousin was going to watch Atlanta. I'm behind on Donald Glover. I mean, there's a lot to do, but you're right. Best Picture, start us off, 1977 Academy Awards. These are the films of 1976. We have Rocky, All the President's Men, Bound for Glory, Network, and Taxi Driver. Joe picked out this year because it is a, a notable year for, for nominees. I remember going back to this going, oh, my God, try picking these. I've never seen Bound for Glory. My winner is Taxi Driver, the definitive film about loneliness and urban alienation. Absolute brilliance. Although a very, very close second would be Network. I would have had no issue if that had won. I know Rocky's iconic. I know all of you from Philadelphia are like the running up the stairs and all the rest of it. And it's a sweet movie. And, yes, for its time, 
It was pretty good. And I like the fact he doesn't win. I give it props. When I watch Rockies, oh, he doesn't win at the end. That's interesting. <laughs> I always thought he was, because the rest of the Rockies are so formulaic and generic. The first Rocky actually was surprising. That Rocky goes the distance, loses the fight, but of course wins because he shows the fortitude, the perseverance, Adrian, all the rest of it. Never should have won Best Picture. It should have been Taxi Driver or Network. Joe? I'm going to go with Network. Movie ahead of its time. Really, really called kind of today's media. And so I'll go with Network. All right. Um, best director? John G. Albison for Rocky. Alan J. Pacula for All the President's Men. Ingmar Bergman for Face to Face. Sidney Lumet for Network. And Lena Wittmuller for Seven Beauties. I know, I know you have a fondness for Lena Wittmuller. Uh, and Alan J. Pekula is certainly a notable director. Ingmar Bergman, I mean, is one of the, the heavyweight champions here for foreign cinema. So, all the, to all, by the way, Joe is part Swedish. So, I mean, you, you should be definitely going for Ingmar Bergman here. I mean, you think about Swedish cinema and persona and cries and whispers and all the rest of it. For me, it's got to be Lumet. Lumet, one of the all time great directors. And Network is brilliant the way he was able to manage that script and get those kind of actors delivering line after line after line, and yet it's so funny and so scathing, and yet balances drama as well. I mean, that, that is a great director, and that's what Lumet was the best at, was bringing out the best in those around him, a true collaborator. I think it's Lumet for Network. I have no arguments there, but I'm still going to go with Pacula for all the President's Men. Um, just how he framed each shot, how if you if you watch it, each character is framed within a grid. So no matter where they are, they're always stuck in between this whole grid system that he maps out subtly throughout the entire movie. And I love that. So I got to go with all the president's men. All right. Alan J. Piccolo there. Best actor. Good one. Peter Finch, Network. Robert De Niro, Taxi Driver. Giancarlo Giannini, Seven Beauties. William Holden, Network. Sylvester Stallone, Rocky. Finch... Uh, again, in network, it, it's tough to imagine anybody else in the role. He, he won the award posthumously. He suffered a heart attack after the film. Unfortunately, he never got to win the award in person. But I would go with Bob De Niro. On every corner in every city, there's a nobody dreaming of a somebody. It's one of the most iconic performances ever, highly influential. As he once said, I pictured Travis as a crab, that he kind of walked sideways. He kind of slithered around and... Just the fact that he's this disenchanted character, this outsider. I mean, this, this is a character who so many other actors have tried to ape and mimic over the years, uh, notably Joaquin Phoenix, who's about to win an Oscar for Joker. Uh, but nobody did it better than Bob. His Travis Bickle is indelible. I 100% agree with you. I think a close second could, a case could be made for Stallone just because he is Rocky. He, he made, I think he made that role, but uh, Bob De Niro and one of the most famous improvised scenes in Taxi Driver from Bob De Niro. So got to yes, go. Sir, with you're talking to me. It just says Travis talks to himself in the mirror. He's what did I do? And he thought of a comedian he knew who kind of did that in his bit. So that's where he, uh, he ended up being inspired by it. Not, not a bad call Stallone being in there too, Joe. I'm with you. You know what? I, if I had to rank the ballot, I would put Stallone too. Cause you're right. Again, iconic role. Uh, you know, wrote the script himself. Nobody else could do it. You can't picture anybody else in the role. So I'm with you. Stallone, uh, a good runner up there. Best actress. Faye Dunaway Network. Marie Christine Barlat, Cousin Cazine. Talia Shire for Rocky. Sissy Spacek for Carrie. And Liv Allman for Face to Face. I'd like to get Talia Shire some love for, uh, obviously, because I love her so much from The Godfather. But yeah, Faye Dunaway. I mean, she, she, she's just so cruel and heartless as Diana Christensen. Rene Russo clearly was playing homage to her in Nightcrawler. 
Dunaway is amazing. I mean, she just shreds. And I mean, the classic man eater. I mean, she's awesome in that movie. One hundred percent agree. I got to go with Faye Dunaway too. Supporting actor. Jason Robards for All the President's Men, Net, uh, Ned Beatty for Network, Burgess Meredith for Rocky, Lawrence Olivier for Marathon Men, and Burt Young for Rocky. Well, Ned Beatty, Burgess Meredith, and Lawrence Olivier, all heavyweights. Um, Ned Beatty, I loved it in Homicide. Lawrence Olivier, especially the scene with the drill where he's about to torture Dustin Hoffman is really good. And of course, he's one of the legendary Shakespearean actor. I will go with Burt Young, though, for Rocky. I just met Burt Young at Sopranos Con. I mean, picture him as Pauly. He's the heart of the movie, right? You think of Stallone and his big heart. You think of him and Adrian. But I'm telling you, Paul, you can't have Rocky without Pauly. I would have liked seeing Burt Young win Best Supporting Actor. That would have been amazing. I, I have no issue with that. I'm, I'm going to go with Ned Beatty because that monologue that he has towards the end of the movie in Network is he nails it. And so just for that scene alone, I got to I got to give him the award. Yeah, it's so well shot by Lumet because he's in shadows the whole time. But you're right. It's funny and it's dark and it's so theatrical the way he delivers it. Just thundering down on Peter Fitch. Yeah, Beatty's really good. I'm glad he, I forgot he got nominated that year. Supporting actress. Beatrice Strait for Network. Jane Alexander, All the President's Men, Jodie Foster, Taxi Driver, Lee Grant for Voyage of the Dam, and Piper Laurie for Carrie. Beatrice Strait is, uh, has the distinction of winning an Academy Award for the shortest ever screen time, five minutes and 40 seconds. That's what she's in for Network. She has one scene, maybe two scenes, but I know that its total is five minutes, 40 seconds. That definitely I can verify. And she, uh, she's the cuckolded wife from William Holden and she just gives this incredible monologue after knowing that she's been cheated upon by this guy and she's kicking his ass out and it's it's a hell of a performance but it's gotta be Jodie Foster Iris man are you kidding she's 14 years old playing a 12 year old prostitute who can do that how hard is that to do and yet she rated this character with charm with intelligence and as that scene where Travis takes her up for breakfast I don't know who's weirder you or me uh, she was awesome in, in Taxi Driver I agree with you Def- definitely gotta go with Jodie Foster best original screenplay we have Network by Patty Chaskieski, Cousin Kazin, The Front, Rocky, and Seven Beauties. Don't have an issue if Rocky had won, but I love the fact the guy who did win, Patty Chaskieski. I mean, there, there's just streams and streams of dialogue, which is so intelligent and so flamboyant. And like I said, scathing. And, and as you mentioned earlier, ahead of its time. And Patty Chaskieski predicted the future. He predicted network television. He predicted what would happen with cable news and Fox and MSNBC and all the rest of it. I mean, God, the guy not only was it funny and smart, but he also was uh, a fortune teller. Got to be Patty Shayevsky for Network. I agree with you. I, I 100% agree. And I know he's revered in screenwriting circles, too. Um, so I, I, this seems to be his masterpiece. I got to go with him. Speaking of revered in screenwriting circles, how about the guy who won Best Adapted Screenplay? All the President's Men, William Goldman. We have Bound for Glory, Fellini's Casanova, the 7% Solution, Voyage of the Damned. Would have loved to have seen Fellini's Casanova just to get Fellini in there winning an Academy Award, but he's made better films, obviously, La Strada and Eight and a Half. But I would go with all the President's Men, William Goldman. I mean, the guy's a heavyweight champion, Princess Bride, Misery, did a lot of great movies over the years, The Sting, I believe. All the President's Men, absolutely. That was a, a worthy winner that year. I completely agree. It has to be all the President's Men. Really, really strong oh. year, but definitely all the President's Men. 
And if I may say, a really strong episode here of Cinephile. Once again, thanks to Scott Feinberg. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Feinberg. We'll be back next time with reviews of two films, Waves and also A Hidden Life from Terrence Malick, and also a full recap of the Screen Actors Guild. The nominations and the awards are, uh, nominations are out, of course. The awards are coming out this Sunday. Tune in next week to Cinephile. Please do spread the word. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. <laughs>